we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Once again, the evidence shows that President Trump was correct when just about everybody else was wrong. Ultimately, I'm always right. <laughs> and it always seems to work out this way. Hey, do you remember during the heart of the coronavirus crisis, the stay-at-home orders, that President Trump was the only one who seemed to have any urgency about getting back to normal? He was concerned about the effect staying at home could have on people. Drug addiction, alcoholism, they could all rise, right? It makes sense. You know what you're going to have more than anything else? Drug addiction. You will see drugs being used like nobody's ever used them before. And people are going to be dying all over the place for, from drug addiction. Everything's closed up. You're in your house. You're not allowed to move. People are dying with that, too. You look at drug addiction. You look at suicides. You look at some of the things that are taking place. People are dying that way, too. People are losing their jobs. They're committing suicide. There's depression, alcohol, drugs at a level that nobody's ever seen before. Now, if you're a member of the media, you just have to roll your eyes and dismiss anything that President Trump says. And they did. You talked about higher death. Are you, are you talking about suicide? Like, help us understand. I'm talking, is, about, is, is, I'm is talking about many forms. Uh, is the risk it, here a depression? Is that what you're getting at? Mr. President, you've also said that at, at one point that you thought more people might die from the economic tragedies and the economic problems in America due to the coronavirus outbreak. What health officials are telling you that? And Dr. Fauci, could you speak to that, the idea that there might be mental health and suicide related to this? Would that outpace at some point the virus's impact on this society? So skeptical all the time. They never gave him credit for, hey, he's the leader of the country. He's got some wisdom. He has maybe some common sense, more than they have, and access to information that they may not have. Take a look at this headline. It corresponds with their attitude in the briefing rooms. The White House effort to prove that staying home is as deadly as the coronavirus comes up short. Uh, take a look at these numbers, though, from the Centers for Disease Control out just recently today. U.S. drug overdoses, December 2019 to 2020 up 30%. That is a staggering, staggering increase. And they denied it every step of the way. They just wanted this thing. Anything that President Trump said, they rejected or they resisted. And why? Well, they had it made. These reporters, these members of the swamp, there they are. Notice, they were always being paid 
during this crisis. Everybody who was badgering the president, they were being paid. Just like this guy, Rahm Emanuel. He's a rich man, one of the top Democrats in the country. Here he is describing what the lockdown will be like for President Trump politically. You see how happy he is? This is in March of 2000, 2020 rather. He is excited by the political prospects of what coronavirus could do to the country. And oh boy, turned out that he was right. Hmm? All right, George W. Bush is back in the news. Former president, take a look. It's unbelievable how that society changed from the brutality of the Taliban. And now all of a sudden, you know, sadly, uh, I'm afraid Afghan women and girls are gonna suffer unspeakable harm. Is it a mistake? The withdrawal. Of I, you know, I think it is. Yeah, I think because I think the consequences are going to be unbelievably bad. George W. Bush thinks we should stay in Afghanistan. Well, the war there started on September 11, 2001. And uh, nobody ever talks about this, but we gave the Taliban basically a one month head start. We didn't start bombing targets in Afghanistan on September 11th or September 12th or September 20th. We waited until almost a month later, in October, before we started striking back. That was a, one hell of a head start we gave them and one heck of a mistake. You know, a lot of folks believe we would not be in the situation in Afghanistan that we are in today, basically a stalemate, getting out in such a sloppy way, if President Bush had not been thinking about Iraq all along. We held back in Afghanistan so we could put resources in Iraq. And we are still paying the price for that. You know who called it out? And I respect him so much for this. He said it before the invasion of Iraq. And he said it when he was running for president. President Trump. Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake. All right? It was a mistake. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So George Bush made a mistake. We so, can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. A thousand percent correct. A thousand percent correct. However, it is time to get out of Afghanistan, but we're doing it in a sloppy way, just like Obama and Biden got out of Iraq. You know what that gave rise to? ISIS. We got out in such a hurry. It was so haphazard and unprofessional. ISIS came about as a result. What's going to happen now as we get out of Afghanistan? And it's a rush and it's a mess. And it looks like the Afghan military that we have been propping up for so long is folding in a spectacular fashion. Pretty sad. Pretty sad. All right. So we have uh, potentially another war of some kind brewing, a civil war in Afghanistan. And who knows, does Joe Biden want a civil war in America? Did you see the speech yesterday in Philadelphia about uh, voting rights? Pretty wild, pretty wild. Here's Joe. We're going to face another test in 2022, a new wave of unprecedented voter suppression and raw and sustained election subversion. We have to prepare now. As Joe Biden would say, what he did yesterday was sick. It was really dishonest. More on that ridiculous speech and what the media left out when we come back. Real heroes. Real conflict. 
Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax. We're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels and switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda, no spin, just the facts. Millions watches, so can you. Newsmax. We are real news for real people. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Uh, they left a lot out of Joe Biden's speech yesterday, their coverage of it. He spoke in Philadelphia about voting rights. Uh, some really bizarre things. At least they struck me as bizarre right off the top. And being human is to be imperfect, driven by appetite and ambition, as much as by goodness and grace. That's how he was starting up. Wait a second. Appetite and ambition. I know that about human beings. We all do, right? As much as goodness and grace. Appetite, ambition on the same level as goodness and grace. I would have thought, I would have hoped that our leader, who was going to bring us all together at the age of 79, would have gotten those appetites and ambition under control and the goodness and the grace prevails. Seemed even when he just said that, right? Am I nitpicking? I don't think so. I thought that was a little bit strange. How about this? I just got back from Europe, speaking of the G7 and the NATO. They wonder, not a joke. They wonder, Gov. They ask me, is it going to be okay? No, they were asking Joe if you're going to be okay. We all saw you at the G7. You did not look okay. They weren't asking about our country. They were asking about you. All right? Seriously, Joe. No joke. What next? Vice President Harris and I have spent our careers doing this work. And I've asked her to lead, to bring people together, to protect the right to vote and our democracy. (laughs) Vice President Harris has yet another job. She's going to be the point person on this and the border situation. And she's going to bring people together. And you've been doing this all your lives. Does he ever get tired of being so disruptive? lying? All right. What else? And they're trying, not only targeting people of color, They're targeting voters of all races and backgrounds with a simple target. Who did not vote for them? That's the target. It's unconscionable. I mean, really, it's hard to... It's it's hard to declare just how critical this is. It's simply unconscionable. Unconscionable to say you need a... ID card to vote. Unconscionable, like they're saying in Texas. Governor Abbott is saying, hey, you shouldn't vote at 3 in the morning. Mischief can happen at 3 in the morning. Drive-through voting, maybe during COVID, but not during normal times. Is that so unconscionable? It's not. I can't figure out if Joe Biden actually believes this stuff or has been told this stuff or who knows what, but it actually gets worse. We have to ask... Are you on the side of truth or lies, fact or fiction, justice or injustice, democracy or autocracy? That's what it's coming down to. 
Wow. You either agree with Joe Biden, the Democrats, or you're for lies. You are for autocracy if you don't agree with Joe Biden and H.R. 1, that ridiculous voting. Whatever happened to this? Joe Biden used to talk like this when he was conning us all, trying to say that he was a nice guy and a centrist and knew how to get along with everybody. Remember those moments? It's always appropriate to question another man's judgment, but never appropriate to question his motives, because you simply don't know his motives. This was Joe. He got along with everybody, including former members of the Ku Klux Klan when he was in the U.S. Senate. What else happened yesterday? That's why, just like we did in 2020, we have to prepare for 2022. We'll engage in an all-out effort to educate voters about the changing laws, register them to vote, and then get the vote out. Yeah, this doesn't sound good. Uh, let's face it, you probably have grave concerns, as I do, about the fairness of the 2020 election and what they did. And now that it looks like the polls are really breaking in Republicans' favor for 2022, the midterms, they're getting nervous, and who knows what they'll come up with. There's more. We'll be asking my Republican friends in Congress and states and cities and counties to stand up for God's sake and help prevent this concerted effort to undermine our election and the sacred right to vote. Have you no shame? You hear him? How angry he got? Have you no shame? Have you no, sh have you no shame? This is a guy, we found out that Hunter Biden was paying his phone bills. Uh, <laughs> have you no shame, sir? This is your business partner, your drug addict son. I'm sorry, sir, but you should not be <laughs> shaming anybody. What else? So hear me clearly. There's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote and fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, who we are as Americans. Just because you go like this doesn't mean we're going to believe you, because the assault on democracy, I believe, is coming from your side, your forces, and you're in charge. One more. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. The Confederates, back then, never breached the Capitol, as insurrectionists did on January the 6th. Hear that? Not hyperbole. Whenever he says it's not hyperbole, it's hyperbole, all right? So the people who were there on January 6th are worse than the South and the Civil War. All right, let's review one person was killed on January 6th, an unarmed Trump supporter named Ashley Babbitt. And I'm sick of uh, them using this as the ultimate excuse, as the ultimate uh, pretext to silence their opposition. And it's just not true. They keep on saying since the Civil War, since the War of 1812, bombs have gone off at the Capitol. How about this? In the 50s, some guy broke into the House of Representatives and shot five congressmen. It actually happened. Um, but maybe this was the most offensive part of the day uh, when he was saying hi to everybody. I see so many friends out. Al Sharpton. Al, how are you, pal? It's great to see you. And uh, 
Al Sharpton, one of the worst race baiters in the history of this country. There he is, and look who's in charge. Al Sharpton seems to be telling the president who's boss, huh? Al Sharpton, well-known in New York City for many, many decades. He was behind one of the worst race-based frauds in our lifetime. Tawana Brawley, facilitated by Al Sharpton. There he is on the left. He looked a bit different. Um, he facilitated a false accusation of sexual assault against an assistant district attorney. The case was proven to be a total fraud. Tawana Brawley, a total fraud. And he never apologized. And his career wasn't affected by that. Something happened similar to Emmett Till. Young man falsely accused. Al Sharpton and his friends should know better. And now this. Black lives do matter, not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. All black lives matter. All lives matter, including the life of 15-year-old Christopher Edmonds, shot and killed in Norfolk, Virginia, early on Tuesday. Two other teens were struck by bullets but survived. They were all on a playground behind Edmonds' home just after midnight when a group of young men pulled up in a car. Someone got out, fired several shots. Family members say the ninth grader, known as Bebop, was a really good kid who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm hurting because I want my son back. It's heartless. It's, these kids are just dying. They're dying. They're dying. And I'm tired of it. He was a good boy. He, um, we just got a picture, a video of him going to church, singing in the choir. He was a good boy, and we just need the balance to stop right now. Christopher is just the latest teenager shot and killed in recent weeks in the housing development known as Hampton Roads. Family members do not believe Christopher was the intended target of the shooting. No suspects at this point. At least 23 children have been shot in Norfolk since Memorial Day. When we come back, Dana White of the UFC and Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North in just a little bit. Did you see the fight? It was pretty awesome. I was particularly pleased that Poirier won and McGregor went down. Ah, oh, that was wild. He's been talking such trash, this guy, McGregor. So in the run-up to the fight, there they are for the weigh-in, and look who's in the middle. Uh, Dana White, the boss of UFC, the guy who made all of this possible. He's incredible. Uh, by the way, he's tagged with President Trump, and President Trump was at the fight in Vegas the other night. The crowd went wild when he got there, walked in. I see that uh, Mel Gibson gave him a salute. Uh, these are his people, and uh, Dana White is his kind of guy. Dana White, head of the UFC, and President Trump, good friends. Here they are getting off of Air Force One together. Dana White, uh, congratulations on a hugely successful event and uh, everything else. Welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. So real quick, I just want to get the fight out of the way. Uh, look, I'm kind of glad McGregor went down. I know that was painful. I think he was asking for it. Um, does he play the bad guy on purpose? What's that all about? Uh, you know, the, the first time they fought, he came in and won by knockout. The second fight, um, in, you know, everybody felt like he was overlooking Poirier. It was very nice to him and, you know, I uh, was talking about donating to his charity and things like that. And I, I don't know what, you know, went off in Connor's head that his mindset needed to be different in this third fight. But, yeah, 
he came into this one pretty nasty. Well, again, it was huge, uh, great attendance. It did uh, amazing on, on pay-per-view. And, hey, UFC, you guys were on the forefront of getting back to normal, getting back to sports, getting back to life um, in the middle of COVID. And I thought that was, it was like a, a hope. It was a signal of hope for so many people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, thanks. You know, uh, sitting home and hiding uh, never made sense to me. I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around that. We're Americans. This is America. We get out there and we, we, we you know, we, we face challenges. We, we find solutions and we figure things out. And uh, that, that was my mentality going into this, this whole COVID thing. I was willing to spend whatever it was going to cost. I was going to set up my own lab here uh, for testing. And, uh, you know, we, we eventually ended up doing that. We ended up creating uh, what I think was the first bubble. Uh, you know, and, and we, we, we put on an event in Florida, uh, down in Jacksonville. Then, then we went out to Abu Dhabi and created the best bubble in all of sports or anywhere else. Yeah, that was a huge uh, accomplishment. Uh, I read about it in the New Yorker, of all places. They did quite a profile on that event. Hey, uh, you know, a lot of people see you. Hey, he's the, you're at the top of the world. Uh, you know, you're rich, you're famous, you're very successful. Uh, they don't see all the hard work you put into this. Can you tell us a story about how you came to UFC, how you came at the, the very early stages and what you had to do to make this happen? Yeah, so me and my partners, the Fertitta brothers, they own station casinos uh, here in Las Vegas. We, we, we fell in love with the sport of mixed martial arts and ended up buying the UFC for $2 million back in 2001. Uh, we, we, you know, we started to uh, work to get it regulated by the athletic commissions, uh, in this country. And by the time we got to like 2004 or five, we were like $30 million in the hole. And we ended up doing a reality show called the ultimate fighter that turned everything around for us, got us on free television. And then, uh, you know, started to, uh, grow our pay-per-views. And over the last, <clears throat> by 2016, we sold the company for $4 billion, uh, to, to WME IMG endeavor. And I stayed on board um, and we just, uh, we just went public here a couple months ago. Congratulations. That is, uh, that's pretty amazing. Hey, you know, I have a theory, um, about your, uh, you and president Trump, you get along very well. You're both very authentic. That's how it strikes me. You see that in him. He sees that in you. Um, you get him and he gets you. Do I got it right? Yeah, you know, we've been friends for over 20 years. And when we first bought the UFC, we started calling around looking for venues. And no venues wanted us at that time. Uh, Trump saw, the, you know, whatever he saw in this, uh, in this sport. And he said, come to the Trump Taj Mahal. We'd love to have you here. And when you think about it, Trump brand was here. UFC brand was down here. Not only did he cut us a good deal and do we not do we do the fight there, he showed up for the first fight of the night and stayed all night and was there till the main event. Anything good that's ever happened to me in my career, he was the first guy to pick up the phone and call and say, congratulations, I knew you guys were going to do this. The guy's never been anything but amazing to me, and uh, I consider him a good friend. So what happens next? It's like you've done it all. I mean, you know, like, what do you do? Have MMA on the moon, uh, on Mars? I mean, where do you, what's the next level for you? Yeah, we're going to continue to take this into countries uh, that we've never been. For instance, we have three uh, African-born world champions right now in the UFC. 
So we're going to do a fight over in Africa. You know, I'm probably going to build a, a performance institute over in Africa. We're going to continue to grow our fan base, and you know, all over the world. Listen, the, the, the one thing, if you look at the NFL and how powerful it is here in the United States, these guys have been trying to go uh, global for a long time, but it just doesn't work. You know, um, you know, people aren't going to be invested in Germany and, you know, the, the, the New York Giants or whatever it might be. They didn't grow up playing it. They're not invested in the team. But fighting, fighting works everywhere. I don't care what color you are, what country you come from, or what language you speak. Fighting's in our DNA. We get it and we like it. Hey, what is the hardest part of your job? Um, the hardest part of my job, well, these days is probably traveling, traveling so much. Um, but the other thing is, you know, we're trying to build this thing uh, on a global level. The problem is there's not enough time in the day. Um, so time, I would say, is my biggest problem. All right. Now, listen, I don't want to put you on the spot. You, why was Poirier's wife texting or, or attempting to text McGregor on Instagram. Any insight? Have you heard anything? What's the word? So there was a, I, I haven't heard, but what I would assume it was is there was a huge beef between both camps over the, uh, the donation to Poirier's charity. And I'm sure the wife was reaching out about the donation for the charity. That's one theory. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I, I assure you. All right. That's why she was reaching hey, out to him. Poor, you know, McGregor was uh, flying, saying all kinds of, uh, wow. But that's McGregor for you. Look, he's a showman. 100%. And we appreciate, uh, we appreciate the show. Well, we appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, final thoughts, sir. Thanks for having me. That oh, was a great weekend. And, uh, and, and uh, we got a great year laid out, and, and I'm excited for the rest of this year. I'm, I'm excited that everything is back to normal. You know, pe people are getting back to work. Sports are, are, are having fans again. It's time to get this country back up on its feet and back to work. Awesome. Dana White, hey, last thing, I'm sorry. Have you ever thought about running for politics? No way in hell. <laughs> Well, never. you never say never, but that's pretty much never. Never, ever. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dana White. Thank appreciate you. it. All the best, and we'll be right back. This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. Well, take a look at this guy. He shouldn't be doing that. His name is Dominic Pozzola. This is January 6th, and uh, clearly he's breaking a window. He's got a police shield. He's in big trouble, 11-count indictment. Uh, he's, he's accused of assaulting a Capitol Hill police officer and all kinds of other stuff. Right now, he's still in jail. He's being represented by our next guest, Marty Tankliff. He is an attorney for uh, Dominic Pozzola and several other January 6th uh, defendants. Uh, Marty, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me, and thank you for uh, discussing this topic tonight. Well, sure thing. Now, look, first off, um, looks like he might be guilty of something. I mean, we just saw that picture. Uh, this is a—he's uh, in trouble. Fair to say? It's fair to say that something happened at the Capitol, but we have to understand that not all the evidence is out there, and the clips or short videos that we see don't tell the whole truth, and nobody's been guilty by a jury yet. All right, and he's still in jail, 
right? When was he actually arrested? It's now July, uh, what is it, 14th, 15th? He's still, how many months has it been? He's been in jail about 150 days so far. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? One of his mistakes was he should have come up to New York if he wanted to raise hell. He could have broken stuff. He could have punched a cop. He would have been out of jail uh, by, the, by nightfall. I mean, this is uh, we're letting him go like crazy up here. Seriously, uh, you can stab somebody, be accused of attempted murder and get out of jail sooner than this guy. Um, what? are your thoughts about that situation? It seems like there is a huge political component to keeping the January 6th uh, protesters in custody this long. I mean, without a doubt that the January 6th individuals are being discriminated against. We can look at New York where two attorneys firebombed a police vehicle, they got bail. Uh, if you look at myself, in 1988, I was charged with double homicide and I was free on bail. Uh, in our recent application, we outlined a number of individuals who were charged with crimes throughout America that were worse or equal to what Dominic was charged with, and they were freed on bail. So there really is no reason why Dominic is still incarcerated and being held without bail. Uh, Marty, I was not going to bring up uh, the murder case you were involved in, but you were accused of murder back in the 1980s, accused of killing your parents. You were convicted. You were wrongfully convicted. You were proven factually innocent. Uh, there is absolutely no doubt that you are innocent, that you were not responsible. You had nothing to do with it, in fact. But you spent like uh, 15 years in prison. Um, so you're very qualified. Almost 18 years in prison. How many? Almost 18 years in prison. 18 years in prison. Has that made you a better defense lawyer? I, I, to me, it has. I mean, I have the ability to understand what each of the individuals are going through. Uh, and you can feel their frustration when you have somebody who's been in prison for 150 days and they see individuals throughout this country who are charged with rape, robbery, murder, uh, getting out on bail. And you're being denied freedom. You're being denied access to your attorneys. You're being denied privileged communications, showers. Uh, you have a level of frustration and when you see that you should be getting bail, the anger starts to build and something needs to be done, like giving Dominic and others like Jake Lang and anyone else that was arrested January 6th, bail should be granted to them. Hey, you know, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, the friend of Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who committed suicide in prison. Well, anyway, she's in custody right now, charged with all kinds of crimes. She gets, she's not in solitary confinement. We're hearing that she has access to a laptop. Um, and you know about what she's accused of. I mean, pretty, very serious charges. I think it's safe to say they are more serious than what your client is facing. And you just described the situation he's in. Uh, By the way, uh, you feel like your uh, attorney-client privilege is violated when you go see your client or where you communicate with your client. It's not a privileged conversation. When I went to go see Dominic, it clearly was not a privileged communication. We were in this exposed cubicle where we could hear every single conversation another attorney was having with their client, two cubicles down. On the side where Dominic was, it was an exposed cage area. And when we left that day, when we asked the officers if we wanted to have a private room, we were told if that was the case, that our client would be quarantined for at least 14 days after that. I see Dominic there uh, in the Proud Boys shirt. I want to show you that picture again. Um, just give us a dry run, if you will. 
How do you uh, how do you explain the situation? How do you get him out of this if, if you want to get him out of this? I mean, there he is breaking a window with police property. That looks like it's pretty, um, you know, pretty convincing. What is your what is your argument going to be? I mean, the argument is, is that not all the facts are out just yet. And the other big issue is that Dominic was not a leader. He was not a conspirator. He broke a window. If you look at anywhere in America, if you broke a window, you would not be denied bail for 150 days, and you would probably just face a fine, uh, which would require you paying for the repair of the window. Yeah, that's true, come to think of it. You're right. I mean, that's like, uh, what's the word? Vandalism. You know? I mean, all right. Vandalism. Well, it seems crazy. It seems really crazy. And the conditions some of these guys have put up with, you know, Big O been in there for such a long time. He's finally out. Keep us posted. What's the next uh, thing on the schedule? What happens next? Well, the, the government has the opportunity to respond to the bail application that we submitted this past week. Uh, after that, we will have an opportunity to respond to it. And the judge may have a hearing to determine if there are any conditions under which Dominic can be released. Um, but if they are denied, we also asked for our client, Dom, to have access to a laptop computer while he's in prison yeah. to be able to review all the discovery material, uh, just like Jose Maxwell has. She has a computer 13 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, Joe Biden, you may want to consider this. He's out there night and day saying January 6th is the worst thing that happened in this country since the War of 1812. And that is factually wrong. It's not true. And uh, I don't know if that's prejudicial to your case or what. Sounds like it is to me. You're the attorney and a very good one. Marty Tankliff, we appreciate it. To be continued, sir, all the best. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for having me. You bet. We'll be right back. You see what's going on in Cuba? It continues. These big protests, they are fed up with communism, fed up with the corrupt government down there. Uh, the government is striking back. Have you seen this? They're rounding up political opponents, some of them in the middle of interviews, live streaming on Facebook, on TV shows. That's been happening left and right as well. Take a look. Uh, Dina, Dina, ¿quieres decir algo? Que no oye. La seguridad, la, la seguridad está, está ahí afuera. ¿Está afuera la seguridad? Tengo que salir. Te están llamando. Sí, voy, voy a dejar a mi amigo. Sí, aquí. sí, sal, sal, nos quedamos. The one in the upper right there is about to get busted by the cops. And then there's another one. A guy is, uh, I guess her sister takes over after that. Anyway, the situation is very chaotic. Of course, uh, I feel very much on the side of the protesters. I'd like to bring in... Congressman Devin Nunez, a hero, Republican of California from the House Intelligence Committee. He is the ranking member there, and he has written a book, Countdown to Socialism. Um, very appropriate. Came out last November. Devin Nunez, Congressman, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Always a pleasure to be with you, Greg. Thanks for having me. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing in Cuba? Well, look, I think right now, where the hell is the Biden administration? The only thing we've heard from them is something about peaceful protests. We've heard rumors about, oh, maybe this is COVID, that they're not getting vaccinated. I'm surprised they haven't blamed global warming yet. But this is, this is the one chance we've had in over 50 years to actually maybe get a regime change. The problem is, is that if you go back to Obama and Biden back in 16, you remember we had to watch Obama eating hot dogs with the Castro regime. So 
the Democrats have been in bed with the Castro regime for a long time, and that's their problem. Is they got themselves stuck, and now they can't get themselves get themselves out. And also, look, in the last 50 years, let's just face it. I mean, that's what my book is about. Uh, the Democratic Party has become a socialist party, so they're a little bit maybe in kindred spirits and such. Hey, Jen Psaki was uh, reluctant to condemn communism. Asked point yeah. blank, why are they leaving? They must hate communism, and she would not, she would not say that. Uh, here is Joe Biden earlier in the week. It does not seem very strong, but let's evaluate his comments about what's happening in Cuba. Cuban people demanding their freedom from an authoritarian regime. And I don't think we've seen anything like this protest uh, in a long, long time, if, if quite frankly, ever. Um, and the United States stands firmly with the people of Cuba as they assert their universal rights. And we call on the government, the government of Cuba, to refrain from violence or attempts to silence the voice of the people of Cuba. Well, it's Joe Biden, so, you know, nothing sounds particularly strong. But uh, the words, you know, solidarity with the Cuban people, calling on the government there to uh, enforce or uh, allow, you know, human interaction, uh, stand up for human rights. What would you think of that statement? Well, look, I think it's they're trying to erase a little bit of history, right, because he should have made, come out and made a real strong statement because he knows what Obama did and, and the Obama-Biden administration. Uh, they did nothing to help this this problem. They made it worse. And now you have people uh, living an absolute uh, nightmare there. Uh, and they have been for a long time. But but look, here, here's the other thing. Here's what we heard just, I think it was this morning or, or last night, you had the, uh, the secretary of DHS come out and say that if you come by boat, you're going to be sent back. Well, they're sure as hell not saying that about the border down on the Mexican border, Californian border uh, with Mexico. They're saying the opposite. They're saying you know, refugee status. So it seems to me like you'd be, there's a couple easy things you could do. One would be, we're taking this immediately to the United Nations to make sure we protect the Cuban people. We're here for you. We don't wanna see communism on our border. We want the Cuban people to be free. That's number one. The second thing you, you could say is, is that our Coast Guard will be out there. If people have to flee because you're being oppressed, you can get in a boat and we will pick you up if you make it into U.S. waters. That would be something very easy for us to say. And you can claim refugee status. Wouldn't that be nice since we're taking refugees from everywhere across the world as long as you just come in to the, to the U.S. border and claim that you're a refugee? So, Look, Greg, I don't mean to get a little ticked off here, but it's it's just outrageous. And and what's happening to those people over there for multiple generations is is an atrocity. And we ought to be ashamed of it that we've let this go on for this long. And the Biden administration ought to be doing more, at least those minimal steps that I just that I just mentioned. Sure. Hey, you can look at President Trump's uh, comments on this. Very, very strong, very, very pro-Cuban people, uh, much, uh, much clearer than anything coming out of the Biden administration. It's too bad he's, uh, he's not in the White House. Uh, Congressman Devin Nunez, to be continued, sir, and thank you. As always, thank you, Greg. You bet, you bet. Hey, you see we're getting out of Afghanistan, but it is a huge mess. The Afghan military that we've been trying to prop up over the years, well, they are folding big time uh, to the Taliban. I believe we have some images of this. The... Uh,
Yep. All right. There's the Taliban. And uh, here comes the Afghan military, and they're handing over their guns. And then we have other footage of uh, Taliban forces entering Afghan cities, and they're, they're greeted. Uh, I don't want to say as liberators, but it seems like they're welcomed. Oh, and some Afghan military soldiers gunned down by the Taliban, a mass execution. Really disturbing stuff. It looks like we're about to have a civil war if we haven't had it already, or we're not in one already. I'd like to bring in Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, USMC, retired. Welcome back, sir. How are you? It's great to be back with you, my friend, although what you just showed on the air is just horrific. There's only a little bit of good news that may be coming from what this administration is doing. That is, they're quietly calling, the, by the way, the troops are actually calling this Biden's bug out. Since the election, you and I have been howling about the fact that very few others, like Congressman Mike Waltz from Florida's 6th District, former Green Beret, have been calling out to get the Terps out. Okay, we started this months ago. I just put on my Real American podcast a former Terp, Janice Shinwari, who's the co-founder of No One Left Behind. And according to our contact with them, No One Left Behind is hearing it's only going to be for a few thousand or so of those who are far enough into the process and be able actually process to get out by the 31st of next month, which is when everybody's going to be gone. Now, anybody who's wondering what things will be like for those who don't make it out, all you had to do is watch the footage of what happened. And by the way, that footage was a month ago that 22 Afghan special forces troops who ran out of ammunition surrendered and then they took off their vests. They were gunned down, massacred in cold blood. Human Rights Watch is now saying that the government of Afghanistan should investigate this war crime and prosecute the perpetrators. That's nuts. Kabul can't investigate anything outside the gates of Kabul. Besides, they don't have any authority in that part of the country. There's quiet forecasts that the Taliban are going to control all of Afghanistan within six months. If, if it lasts that long, Greg, it's going to be a miracle. The Afghans are now appealing for help from Iran, Russia, and China. Way to go, Joe. Hmm. No one wanted us to occupy Afghanistan forever. But to leave Afghanistan the way the Biden administration is handling this threatens the remaining Americans at our embassy in Kabul. And those of us who are old enough to remember the last days of May 1975 don't want a repeat of what happened in Saigon. It was all because Congress had cut off all the aid, military and economic, in December of 74. You know. It took just over five months for the Republic of Vietnam to be completely vanquished. Mm. That ought not to happen. And God help us if it does because of America's longest war and the way this administration is handling its final days. The helicopter on the roof. Uh, I remember the images oh, yeah. myself. Uh, so, by the way, that video uh, verified by CNN, we have to give them credit, and they, uh, they did verify that. Can I ask you this? Uh, George W. Sure. Bush, uh, September 11, 2001, we were attacked. We did not start the airstrikes in Afghanistan until uh, roughly mid-October. Uh, I always feel like we gave the Taliban an unfair head start, and al-Qaeda an unfair head start in hiding and getting ready that if we had started earlier, and I'm sorry, I only have a few seconds left, 
if we had started earlier on September 12th, on September 13th, and I understand that we had to put SAR search and rescue assets into Uzbekistan and that kind of thing, but the United States does have the capability, did have the capability to strike back at Afghanistan the very next day, if not that night. Why didn't we, and did we, are we still paying a price for that? Well, we're paying a price for the way in which we prosecuted the war. And Biden's wrong when he says the only purpose was to track down bin Laden. The purpose was to build up an Afghan government and an Afghan military that was capable of keeping the country together. And the way Biden is withdrawing, all troops bleeding out by August 31st, 10 days earlier than the initial September 11th deadline, this is a disaster in the making. God forbid we have to go back in to rescue people because it'll be a whole lot tougher than what happened in Saigon. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, USMC, retired. We appreciate your expert, your wisdom, and your friendship, of course, to be continued, sir. Thank you. Semper Fi, buddy. Semper Fi. Stinchfield is next. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.